0: Everyone. Welcome back to Listo with Amanda and Ellen, co hosting the mini series about women's global health. Today, with us, we have Dr. Alfred Abu Hamid, who serves as the professor and chairman of obstetrics and gynecology and is the associate dean for clinical affairs at Eastern Virginia Medical School. He is also well known internationally in ultrasound, prenatal diagnosis, global outreach, and patient safety. We are so honored to have him with us today. If you have any further questions, comments, or ideas, of course, always reach out to us at listosaludglobal at gmail.com. Everybody. My name is Alfred Abouhamad. I am the chair of OBGYN at Eastern Virginia Medical School, and I will be talking to you today about maternal mortality, the role of uh, global health. So let me uh, share, start with a story uh, about why do women die in the developing world, and this is a story of Jane Doe. So Jane Doe was a 39-year-old, had given birth to seven children. Five were still alive. She had scant prenatal care. She experienced two episodes of bleeding in the third trimester, and she started bleeding profusely at term. It took her four hours to get to the nearest hospital. She was admitted in a state of shock when she got there, and she received intravenous fluids, And there was only one unit of blood that was available at the hospital to transfuse her. A cesarean section was performed three hours later when an obstetrician and an anesthesiologist could be called in. And she died during the operation from severe bleeding and heart failure. So Jane Doe never had a chance. If you look back into her story, she never used family planning methods. Her pregnancy was unplanned, so were all her prior pregnancies. She's an illiterate wife of a poor agricultural laborer. As a child, she did not have access to education as her brothers, and her status in society depended so much on her role as a mother. The road to maternal death, everywhere, but primarily in the underserved community, includes delays in deciding to seek care. Also delays in reaching the place of care. This is a story when we were in a team in, in Haiti, one of our team members, they encountered this this crowd on the streets, as you can see on the dirt roads, going from one town to the other. This was a patient who had an eclamptic seizure at home, a teenager, pregnant teenager, and they are carrying her to get her to the to the hospital, which was several hours away. So you could see how difficult it is in remote areas to get to the nearest hospital in low low resource settings. And the third most common reason is delays in receiving appropriate treatment at the place of care. This is a story of a patient that arrived to a hospital in uh, Afghanistan. You could see had a massive abruption uh, and uh, they are trying to help her and waiting for the team to arrive to support. So the causes of uh, global maternal health, as you know, um, um, a lot of it is hemorrhage. About the most common in the developing in the, in the devo- de- developing world is hemorrhage. Hypertension, sepsis, and others are also very significant. In the Caribbean area, in Haiti and others, hypertensive disorders are very significant causes of maternal morbidity and mortality. This is the uh, United Nations Millennium Development Goals. Um, uh, uh, And this was Target 5A, which was a process from 1990 to 2015. And the goal was to reduce maternal mortality by three quarters around the world by putting a lot of processes in place, simple processes that are quite impactful. This was a very successful program. Now this developed in another program through the UN. But you could see since 1990, the maternal mortality ratio was cut in half. Now, more than 71% of births were assisted by skilled health personnel globally and increased by 59%. So you don't need, in these low resource settings, the concept is not that you need to have a physician or a licensed midwife, but a trained birth attendant who has basic skills to help resuscitate the mother and help care for the baby is really essential. And globally, there was an estimated 289,000 maternal death in 2013. about half of pregnancies around that time uh, received the recommended amount of antenatal care, which is about five to six visits as defined by the WHO. So if you look at maternal mortality around the world, you see that most of the deaths occur in the developing regions, as you see right here. And if you look at the lifetime uh, risk of maternal death, If you are in Africa, your lifetime risk is one in 40, which is substantial. If you are in Europe, it's one in 3,300. And around the world, the average is about one in 190. But if you look closer and deeper into this data, you will see that if you happen to live in Ireland, your lifetime risk of dying from pregnancy-related complications is one in 47,000. But if you live in Sierra Leone, your lifetime risk of dying from pregnancy complications is one in eight. You can clearly see that giving birth safely is largely a privilege of the rich. But the sad part of this is that every study that has been done on this have consistently showed that between 50 and 80% of maternal death could be prevented with timely recognition and timely interventions. We know how to treat hemorrhage whether it is from acne, urine acne, or placental complications. We know how to treat hypertensive diseases. We know how to treat sepsis and other complications. The key is for us to identify, early identification of these complications, and have a system and infrastructure that allow and support intervention and and optimal care for, for patients. So this is maternal mortality, the tip of the pyramid here. But if you see what's under, it's severe maternal complications, which is about 12 million women in the world every year have major complications from pregnancy out of the 122 million births. So over 300 million women in the developing world today suffer from short or long-term illnesses related to pregnancy and childbirth. What is really significant of this, especially related to obstetrics, is the issue of fistula. I'm glad to say this has improved drastically over the past 10 years, but if you go back five to 10 years from from today, you would estimate about 100,000 new cases of fistulas develop each year in Africa alone. Why do fistulas happen? This is an impacted pregnancy, delayed in the ability to do cesarean sections where the fetal head is stuck in the birth canal and the pressures from the bony head on the organs, the bladder, the bowel results in ischemia, breakdown of tissue, and fistula formation. Almost all these fistulas are due to obstructed labor. What happens when you have a fistula, you leak either urine or, or feces, you smell, and given that many families live in small places in the, in the developing world, these patients get pushed out of society due to personal hygiene, and there's a very high risk of attempting suicide in, those, in this population. It's estimated that about 90% have contemplated suicide at one play, time or another. Here you see Dr. Hamlin in this picture. She's a famous obstetrician that her and her husband moved to uh, Ethiopia in the 60s, I believe, and established one of the most famous hospitals in Addis Ababa for fistular repair. What about the United States? Here's the curve for the United States for maternal mortality. We talked a lot about the developing world. You see where we were in the 1900, one in nine, one in 800 to one in 900, uh, one death per uh, 800 to 900 death per hundred thousand live births. I have to tell you there are s- several countries in the world today that have maternal mortality ratios similar to where we were in the 1900s, especially in the Congo and other places uh, in Africa. So. We started doing fairly well in dropping this. Then we have the depression, which resulted in a spike in maternal mortality, just to highlight how sensitive maternal mortality is to societal issues and to the societal economic uh, aspects of, of, of things. And then you have a massive drop here in maternal mortality. This is primarily related to two important issues. One, the ability to do cesarean section in an, in a, in an aseptic way, in a sterile way and to the introduction of antibiotics that substantially reduced puerperal fever that used to kill a large number of pregnant women and postpartum women and this is an old slide showing you the various maternal mortality in the United States what i wanted to highlight here is a lot of the increase in maternal mortality is actually in the southern belt here and this is where obesity is And this is where poverty is in the United States. So there is a strong link between poverty, between obesity, and maternal mortality. There has been an increase in maternal mortality in the United States over the past several years. This is related to two things. One is there has been a change in the death certificate. There's a new box on death certificates in many states that was introduced recently that requires to check the box if the, if, the, if the deceased has been pregnant in the past year, because that's delayed maternal, there's early maternal mortality within the postpartum period, I think up to 42 days and then delayed all the way up to a year. So if somebody, if a patient dies from a car accident, but she was pregnant eight months ago, that will count as a maternal mortality. So that increase in part is related to the change in the death certificate, but there is a real increase in maternal mortality in the United States for unclear reasons, because when you look at morbidity increase, there's a significant increase in morbidity that mirrors this curve that I'm showing you here. Now, if you look at what is really troubling in this, in this, in this graph here is not only there's an increase, but there's significant racial disparity. African American women has two to three times the rate of maternal mortality than non-African American women. And that has been controlled by socioeconomic status and others. So there is a real, real racial disparity here that needs to be at the forefront and then the top of the list of any projects on any plan to address maternal mortality in the United States. Here, the curve shows you the racial disparities that exist that I've talked about even when compared to Hispanic women, non-Hispanic blacks have a significantly higher maternal mortality rates. And here you look at morbidity just to answer the question, with regards to the death certificate uh, a checkbox, you can see that the morbidity is on the increase, which reflects a significant portion of the increase in maternal mortality. Several studies have confirmed in the United States, as I mentioned, that 40 to 50% of maternal mortality is preventable. And here's some studies in the United States and also studies from outside by WHO and others, even 50 to 80% of maternal mortality outside the United States is preventable. What is the one of the most important in, in, improvements in maternal and child health is really looking, this. so this, I should say, this is the curve for maternal mortality, this is the curve for infant mortality, and you see this significant improvement. All this is improvement is really not related to better obstetricians or more technology that comes into play. It's related to simple things that are highly impactful. The availability of vaccines have significant impact clearly on infant mortality. The ability of having aseptic techniques to do cesarean sections safely. Clear water, rehydration for infant mortality is huge. Antibiotics, both infant and maternal mortality. Contraception has a huge, huge uh, significance. And I'll show you the access to care, how important that is. This is a graph that shows individual countries that have made contraception available to their population at no cost and you see the significant reduction in maternal mortality. It appears that contraception can reduce maternal mortality by two thirds. So a simple process, when you don't get pregnant, you don't die from pregnancy complications. And given that about half of pregnancy around the world is unplanned, you could see the impact of contraception to that. So in the developing world, What is the role of ultrasound? Let me say a little bit about ultrasound here. You know, antenatal care is the most utilized portion of maternal services. If you go to Haiti now, you see a lot of pregnant women come for antenatal visits, but still about 50%, even at the capital, deliver at home. And if you go into the rural areas, in the central plateau and other places, 80% still deliver at home. So you can use antenatal care as a platform to really promote health and ensure safe delivery and here where ultrasound may have a role because if you look at the complications that lead to maternal mortality abnormal placentation you know ectopic pregnancy uh, uh, obstructed labor multiple gestation you know all these things ultrasound has a significant role in making the diagnosis and that's the conceptual framework that shows that if you have ultrasound services you may be able to improve outcome Programs in Haiti that I've been involved with for several years show that what we've done, we have donated equipment from GE and others. We partnered with the partners in health and we trained midwives and physicians in introducing ultrasound in their prenatal care, both on OB and gynecology also. We've done this program in many places around the world. This is in Somaliland at Edna Adan Hospital, a famous hospital that's uh, uh, outlined in the book, uh, Half the Sky, I would, uh, I would rec- I strongly recommend you read that if you're interested in, in women's uh, health and women's issues around the world, and also at many other places. I introduced this concept of simplifying the ultrasound to a very simple six steps that anybody can learn and we can teach within about a week that looks for fetal lie, presentation, cardiac activity, number of fetuses, adequacy of amniotic fluid, where the placenta is and a basic biometry. And we have seen that to be very impactful in sustaining and supporting ultrasound practices around the world. Now, there are a lot of challenges in introducing ultrasound outside. There's many countries that are very unstable. We went to Ghana one time, we were excited. We brought these ultrasound systems. We plugged it the first day we were there and the power was so unstable that the machine burned down. So you could see how difficult what we have today is difficult to replicate in other places. Now, what are some of the emphasis of the world organizations related to maternal mortality? Several of those organizations you see on this slide have significant role to reduce maternal mortality. So the Merck for Mothers is a program, a foundation from Merck. Here, their are innovations about devel- developing and improving user-friendly techniques to diagnose and treat postpartum hemorrhage and preeclampsia. They've done a lot of work to develop bundles related to that. Improving access. Access is a big, big deal in the developing world. Improving the quality, accessibility, affordability of maternal health services. So more women have access to contraception, more women have access to adequate healthcare and awareness, which I believe personally, this is a huge component of maternal morbidity and mortality. And where is the society on this? And where is the political will in the country that makes significant, significant impact on this aspect? United Nations, modernizing family planning, education of girls and women. Remember the story of Jane Doe. She did not have access to education like her brothers. And her role in society is totally dependent on her role as a mother. Reducing unintended pregnancy with contraception and improving maternal health. You don't want to start a pregnancy when uh, you are, your hemoglobin is five or your hematocrit is really low. Others, uh, such as um, uh, maternal, newborn, and child health. This is the Bill and uh, Melinda Gates Foundation done enormous amount of work in developing fa- vaccines, family planning. What is really important on this slide is strengthening the policy and advocacy. I think this is really, really important, and I'm going to highlight this. in in a minute here. And I think, in my opinion, this is one of the most important aspects in in reducing maternal mortality around the world. These are the new goals that exist from the United Nations are called sustainable goals. And if you look at these goals, a lot of them are really important and relate to maternal health and maternal well-being. And the goal number five is gender equality, which here elevates Women to the same level as men with regards to access in the community, availability of medications, even trials to support, to sustain some medications and so forth. So what is the role of society and government in maternal and child uh, uh, mortality and morbidity? Here where I believe it's really important is as a society and as a government, we have a responsibility and our social policies should really reflect to that. In countries where women have achieved political status have seen reduction in maternal morbidity and mortality. Where there are policies and procedures in place to protect women, morbidities and mortalities went down. I'll give you a brief example. When we were in Somaliland, a patient came with ruptured uterus, clearly dying. Uh, uh, She needed a hysterectomy. Her husband had to consent for a hysterectomy and he initially refused. After several discussions, he accepted. After several hours in delay in the operating room, it was clear that she needed a hysterectomy, otherwise she would die, and he refused refused to grant permission for a hysterectomy. Why? Because to him, her value is tied to her uterus, tied to her ability to bear children. And once this has gone, her, her value has diminished substantially. So this should go away, and women should have the same rights and access and 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 support as men do the healthcare team on us we have to do culture changes we have to put education and training in place we have to do ad- advocacy this is the maternal mortality in philadelphia in 1931 1933 if you read this report you would see similar report that we get today well The first one doesn't apply anymore, thank God. Self-induced or criminal abortion used to contribute a lot to maternal mortality. This doesn't happen anymore. But look at this one, errors of judgment on the part of the medical profession. When I say 50 to 80% of maternal mortality are preventable, here what I mean by this is that the medical profession has to have processes in place for early identification, early intervention, and aggressive resuscitative measures. Lack of appreciation for the need of prenatal care by the patients. And this is the most important one failure of hospitals, organized medicine, meaning societies, and agencies to grasp fully the responsibilities and opportunities. And I think this is where the society has a significant role in this. Case. So reducing maternal mortality is not just an issue of development, but also an issue of human rights. I love this quote and I always put it at the end of my slides when I talk on maternal mortality. This is by Dr. Fatala. He was the president of FIGO. This is the International Federation for Gynecology and Obstetrics for, for Gynecologists and Obstetricians. Women are not dying of diseases we cannot treat. They are dying because societies have yet to make the decision that their lives are worth saving. And I think this is a, the, a, the main focus of maternal mortality. And I hope that you take this with you with regards to what is the most important message that you need to carry with you in global health. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak with you today. You've been listening to Lisa's interview with the world-renowned Dr. Abu Khamid on maternal mortality. If you would like the slides he presented or have any comments, questions, or feedback, please let us know at listosaludglobal@gmail.com. at gmail.com. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are only of the individual and not of the organizations or institutions mentioned. This is actually the final episode of our Global Women's Health mini series, and thank you so much for being with us during this process. Hopefully, we learned a thing or two and reinforced to you all and to ourselves that Global Women's Health is local women's health and vice versa. We would love to thank Amanda for her time and efforts to get this content out and be a astounding co-host in the mini-series. And I have a feeling we'll be hearing from her again soon. Is that right? Hmm, cliffhanger. We'll have to see. I hope so, though. I've had so much fun. Thank you all for listening and learning with us as we go through this process together. So stay tuned for that. And you guys stay cool and stay informed until next time.